holiday coming up here um, this week, Thursday, Thanksgiving, as I've mentioned. Um, and I love Thanksgiving. And actually, it's just kind of one of those cool things because this psalm deals with Thanksgiving. And it was not contrived in any way on my part. It's, that's what's really kind of funny about it, is we, uh, we planned, we've mapped this out and uh, it happened to land on this particular Sunday that the psalm, or the, sorry, it is a psalm, but the, the passage in Isaiah uh, that we're given here is really the, about being thankful and why we should be thankful. So it works out well for us to prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving, uh, for the holiday. And I don't know what your, what your feelings are about Thanksgiving or, or just holidays in general. I don't know. But um, I feel like Thanksgiving is it's kind of like the middle child of the holidays this time of year. Um, I'm a middle child, so I have, uh, have what's called middle child syndrome. It's a, it's a thing. I'm getting counseling for it. No, not really, but I should probably. Um, so I'm, a, I'm the middle son between, I have two brothers on, on each side of me. And so I ha- I'm just neurotic and have, so I feel for Thanksgiving because I think Thanksgiving is kind of like that middle child. It's, it, you have the obnoxious little brother of Halloween who's just like wants all of the attention and throws candy at people and stuff. And then you've got the respected and well-esteemed Christmas on the other side, which everybody looks forward to. And, and poor, poor Thanksgiving is just kind of left there in the middle. Um, and I feel, I feel for it. And I love Thanksgiving be, probably because I feel for it, but I also love it because I get to eat and, and that's, you all know that that's my thing. So, um, <clears throat> so we're, we're grateful for it. But the, putting aside the holiday itself, right? Putting aside the fact that we have this cultural uh, national holiday of, of Thanksgiving where we take a day and think about our our blessings, um, thank, the, the concept of thanksgiving is thoroughly biblical. Um, it, it really is. It is all over the scriptures. I'll, I'm just going to read a few of these passages that I came across as it relates to giving thanks. And there's many, many more I could have chosen, but I pulled out about four or five, and, and they're just all over. First Chronicles 16.8 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Psalm 30, verse 4 says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 100, and verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. In the New Testament, you have 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, where Paul says, that We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Um, so Paul's giving thanks to God for the people of the, uh, Thessalonians. And then again in 1 Thessalonians, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, it, it, and we could keep going. I mean, we could keep going with a t- more, million more examples. The Bible calls us to give thanks. It calls us to be thankful people. And, and so in this short chapter, it's a very short chapter, only six verses in chapter 12, we're going to see why we should be thankful for Jesus and for what he's done for us. We, we should be thankful and we should prepare our hearts for this. And, and Isaiah gives us plenty of reasons just in this short chapter as to why that's the case. Um, so what we're going to do is we've got six verses and we're going to look at really just two at a time um, and make three just simple points. We're not going to make a real complicated thing here. Um, just 
three simple points about Thanksgiving and um, from, this, from this passage. And again, we could, we could make a lot, of, lot more points about Thanksgiving from a lot of other passages, but we've got this one in front of us. So let's look at verse uh, 1 and 2. And it says, here's what it says. I will say, or sorry, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. So in that day, now what he's talking about here is the future day uh, that the Lord will establish his kingdom and this future day of, of God's grace being fully and finally seen and experienced on the earth. Right? This whole pre- preceding chapter dealt with how God is going to extend his grace to the nations, extend his grace to all peoples through Jesus. Um, and, and so it's, but it's coming at the heels of a really hard message. And the message that is being given is that you're going to suffer first. There's suffering, there's hardship. Life is not always uh, what we want it to be. And so we will suffer, but there will come a day when all that suffering will pass, will will be uh, removed. And so in that day, he says, you will say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. And there's a reason for our thanks. Look at the next line. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So the reason for the thanks, according to this passage, is pretty simple. We're we're thankful because um, God has removed his anger and has instead become our comforter. That we see God changing the, the role here where he's no longer angry at us because of sin. And instead, he has replaced that anger with comfort. I mean, what, a, what an incredible uh, consolation. What an incredible joy we get to experience. We give thanks to God because even though he was angry at us at one point in time because of sin, that anger has been turned away. It has been replaced with comfort. And, and so he, here's the, the, the thing, right? We see this coming out, this idea of thanksgiving flowing out of us because God becomes our comforter. And that's, that comfort is not based on any earthly thing. It's not based on our circumstances. It's rather based on the eternal position that we have in Jesus, And that's the point that we see in Romans chapter 5. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. He takes this idea of God taking his anger away from us and placing it elsewhere in order to become our comforter. And I'll read some of this for you in Romans 5, just so we we see where this goes and how it relates to Christ. Um, Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified, that's a word that means made right with God, We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. There's a relational word. There's a word that is implying that there's now a good relationship. It's not broken. It's not, it's not strained. It's not hurting. It's a, there's peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way that we get to peace with God. And it says through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
knowing that our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So Paul is not proclaiming a gospel of uh, pie in the sky, everything's going to be wonderful when you believe in Jesus, uh, that nothing bad's going to happen. No, on the contrary, he acknowledges that, that while our relationship with God is good and perfect and right, our earthly circumstances definitely aren't. And we, we do not necessarily have the greatest circumstances on earth. In fact, we may have and will, in fact, have suffering in some capacity or another, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual, we will have some, some degree of suffering on this earth. But there is a, there's a purpose for our suffering, and that is to create endurance and ultimately hope. But what is not up in the air, what is not questionable, is that our relationship with God is good. We have been made right with Him through faith in Jesus, and we have been brought into this peaceful relationship with God, where he becomes our comfort. It goes on in verse 6 to say, for while we were still weak, uh, that means helpless to save ourselves, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." So you see how this, dy- this whole thing has changed. This whole dynamic between us and God because of Jesus has changed from being at war with God to being at peace with God, from being an enemy of God to being his friend, to being reconciled, to being right with him, to having God actually become our comforter rather than our condemner, that he is our comforter. And, and this is what I, I just love about the Bible is it gives us this amazing hope in Christ that, that flows into thanksgiving because we are now made right with God. Ray Ortland, who's a pastor, wrote um, some words about this that I'll read for you. I think it's helpful to kind of summarize really Paul's point in, in Romans 5 and um, the point that Isaiah is making in chapter 12. He says this, The wrath of God at our real guilt is warranted, even required, for God to be true to himself. His condemnation does fall, and with full force, but not on us. It falls on our substitute. In his great love for guilty people, Jesus changes places with us at the cross. For us to go boldly now into his presence for comfort, (coughs) sorry, to receive mercy and find grace whenever we have a need brings God's own purpose to fulfillment. He wants every one of us to be able to say to him, you comfort me. We will discover what that means. If we will discover what that means for us now, we will be saying it forever. I think those words are just helpful. They, they put it all together for us. They, they 
he, he's helping us to understand that God does have to deal with sin, but he doesn't deal with it in us. He deals with it in Jesus, our great substitute. He changes places with us at the cross. <coughs> and that's a great news. Okay, let's, um, let's keep going back to verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, verse 3 and the first part of verse <coughs> 4. Here's what it says. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. We'll stop there for this, mo- for this point. Um, here's, here's the idea that we're seeing very simply. Thanksgiving flows out of us because God has uh, given to us joyful satisfaction in Jesus. Thanksgiving flows because of the joyful satisfaction we find in Christ. That's what he's talking about right here. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now this, of course, is an analogy, one that they would have understood quite well because they lived in a time before there was uh, indoor plumbing. They couldn't just turn on a faucet. They had to go and walk to a well and draw that water. And so the water was very precious to them. And it, as it is to us, we just don't appreciate it the way they did, I don't think, uh, because they had to really go for it to get it. And so here is the idea. You have this joy at finding this well in the desert. You've been dying of thirst and you have nothing to drink. Here you come upon a well and now you can draw water and drink to your heart's content. That produces joy in you. And, and the, the analogy here uh, is that our souls were dead in, in, in sin and we desperately need to draw water from something to quench us and to make us alive and to keep us preserved. And that is the wells of salvation. And so in that day, as we experience the joy of drawing water from the salvation, we will say, I give thanks to you, Lord. Call upon your name. This is the the, the attitude of the heart. It flows out of joyful satisfaction in Jesus because of his salvation. And I think this is really the point that, <clears throat> that we can make on this. It's that if we have Jesus, even if we have nothing else, we are still be- blessed beyond measure. With Jesus and nothing else, we would still be the most blessed people. And that's really the point Jesus makes in John chapter 6. If you want to jump over there real quickly here. John 6, verse uh, 35 Here's what Jesus says about himself. Um, and this is coming on the, the, just in the context so that we understand why Jesus says the words he says here. Um, in the previous verse, uh, chapter, rather, he has done this miracle of feeding 5,000 people uh, or more with, with bread and, and fish. And he multiplies this food and he makes this happen and he does all this. And, and then the next day, he travels away and the people that were there find him and they want more bread. They want this miracle to keep on keeping on and, and Jesus um, has to have a conversation with them about this. And so in verse 35 of chapter 6, he says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
what Jesus is telling these people and what he needs to tell us as well is that it's not about the earthly food that Jesus could give us that should ultimately be our goal. It's not about the earthly anything, right? It's, it's ultimately about finding our satisfaction and fulfillment and our joy in Jesus, in who he is, in, in how he satisfies us, and, and how we have him. And even if we have nothing else, even if we lose everything else, we still have him and we will never lose him. And so we have this amazing promise that he will satisfy us. And when he's talking about those who come to him will never hunger, those who come to him will never thirst, he's not talking about physical hunger and physical thirst. He's talking about meeting the, the deepest spiritual needs of our hearts. Right? I think all of us can understand the, the, that without Jesus, we, we're just missing something. There's just something that's not quite there. It's not quite right. And when we meet Jesus, then it begins to, to change and we begin to be fulfilled and we find that our hearts actually are full with Christ when he comes to us and changes us. And so as we, as we think about thanksgiving, as we think about giving thanks to God and why we should give thanks to God, we should thank him even as we are enjoying the physical meals of, uh, of thanksgiving dinner we should remind ourselves that the food that we're enjoying in that moment is not the true satisfaction. It's Jesus that that meal should be pointing us to and helping us remember. Just as as full and fulfilled and satisfied as we are after Thanksgiving dinner, that's what Jesus does for our souls and our hearts. And that's what we should be ultimately thankful for, is this joyful satisfaction we get from him. One more um, thought here, and uh, this is going to be, I will say it's going to be a shorter sermon than it normally is, so you guys will get a, a free break here. Um, but uh, this is a short passage, so we're just going to deal with it as it is. Um, let's look at verse 4, the second half. Um, it says this, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known, made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Th- this is what um, this psalm concludes with. It concludes with a call to make known what God has done among the people, to proclaim his name and exalt it. There, there's a call Uh, on the congregation of God's people to to sing to him, to respond to him, and to tell people about him. And this is the thing that that, that ultimately comes out of us as we experience the saving work of Jesus that we should be ultimately thankful for. We We are seeing thanksgiving flow in the form of proclaiming God's grace to others. And there's two, two passages I want to take us to in the New Testament to make this point. And the first is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. And here's what Paul writes to the Corinthian church about this, this theme of being thankful and also proclaiming who God is. Because both of these things are found in this passage. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 7. 
Um, <clears throat> it says, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you, oh, this is First Corinthians. Oh, what am I doing? I'm like, that's not, that's not what I, I'm like, I read this earlier. This is not the same thing. You, have you ever done that? You've done that. You've done that. Don't, don't judge me. All right, 2 Corinthians. Y'all, y'all have been there. Okay, well, there we go. Here it is. That, I'm like, I'm reading this going, that's not right. Okay, here it is. This is right. But, okay, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. It is for all your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And we'll stop there and we're going to keep reading this here uh, in just a couple more verses. But here's the point that Paul's making. He's, he's telling the, the Corinthians that their life on earth is going to be hard. They're going to suffer, but they're not going to suffer eternally. They're not going to suffer ultimately. They're not going to be lost by the Lord, right? He's talking about being afflicted, uh, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, right? All these things. And, and he says then, as he goes through this, that all of this suffering is meant to point people to Jesus, to the hope that we have in Jesus. And, and as people look at that, it's going to open up a doorway for us to proclaim who Jesus is to them. And then it says in verse 15, it's kind of the key verse on this, is that all of this is for your sake, so that as grace extends... Right? Grace moves out. Grace extends to more and more people. It will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Thanksgiving happens and it grows in us as we proclaim the grace of God to others so that they can experience this grace. And it's just like this you know, snowball effect where it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes down the hill. It's this idea of, of seeing our testimonies and our, um, our desire to make Jesus known actually be used by God to extend that grace to other people, to more and more people that will then increase thanksgiving. So let's look at verse 16 through 18 then in light of that. He says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So yeah, our physical bodies, they're, they're not going to last forever. In fact, as the, old, the older we get, the more they break down, right? That's, we all know that. But, but that doesn't have to change our 
inner selves, our inner selves may actually and should actually be improving and growing day to day. And I know uh, some of you, some of you may have known uh, Nate Brash, uh, who passed away a few weeks, a couple weeks ago here. Um, And one of the things that struck me as I went to his funeral, he was only a couple years older than me. So it gives, gives you some introspection, you know, when you start to think about that. And he was a, he was a friend and I, I, I miss him. Um, but he, uh, you know, he was asked towards the end of his life how he's doing. And, and he said, he just told the, the person who asked him, well, I'm doing fine. Uh, my body's dying, but I'm doing fine. And I think that's the perspective we have to have. That's the biblical perspective. Uh, yeah, our bodies may die, but we're fine. Our, our inner selves are being renewed day by day. He goes on to say this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things seen uh, that, that are seen are trans- transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal and again, he's just saying that this is, we live in a temporary world. We're going we're gonna to live here for a, for a time, but we're going to continue on forever. The, the life that we have doesn't end when life here on earth ends. And so the things that we deal with here and now are preparing us for an eternal hope that we have in, in Jesus. And so this is the point that Paul's making in, in the totality of this context is that yes, our, our lives are not promised to be easy, but as we live out the, the truth of the gospel and lean into the person and work of Jesus, people are going to see that. People are going to want to hear about that. And, and as we tell them, that grace that God has given to us can extend out to more and more people, which then increases thanksgiving. So in light of that, what's one of the questions that... Um, we, we should really ask is how do we or how should we go about extending this grace? How should we go about making Jesus known to others? And the Bible gives us a good uh, indication here. It gives us a lot of different examples of how we can do this. There's no cookie cutter way. In fact, I think the principle is more important than the, than the practical like here's how you do it. Here's the method. Right? I'm not really a guy that's, that advocates for particular methods because I think people are in different places at different times in their life. And so a, a pigeonholed kind of methodology isn't going to resonate with everybody at, at every moment. So we need to have the principle. And I think that we can get that from 1 Peter uh, chapter 3. And not 2 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, I, got it, I got it this time. Uh, verse 15 through 18. Um, so here's how Peter describes this, this issue of sharing the gospel with, with other people. Here's how he walks us through it. He says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. All right, so what he's saying there, very basically, is be ready to share the gospel, the the good news, the reason why you believe in Jesus. Be prepared and be ready to share that with people because people are going to ask. 
They're going to ask, if you are actually honoring Christ the Lord as holy, you are going to, that's going to spill out into your life in some capacity or another, and it's going to lead them to ask you the question. And so be ready. Be ready to, now he says, make a defense. Now a defense is sort of a, a negative word in some way, right? It's kind of a, hey, you're, you're like getting ready for battle or something. Um, that's not totally what's in view here because of the, we'll see in the context, that that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking about having a, an explanation, having a, a, some sort of way of explaining to the people who ask you for the hope that's in you uh, about why you believe this. It's not about having some combative answer uh, to give them, not like getting ready for a fight. And here's why that's not the, the case, because look at the very next phrase, and this never gets any, any press at all. Um, it, it's like we just completely ignore this when we read these, these verses. It says, um, be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why do we never talk about that? We never talk about that in the church, at least in my, the churches that I've been a part of. It's always been, yeah, be ready to make a defense, like get ready for that fight because somebody's going to want to fight you about Jesus. It's like, is that really what Peter's saying here? No, he, he's saying you need to be ready to share the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. Because here's the thing, there may be, you may encounter a combative person towards the, the gospel, towards Christianity. Yeah, there's people who are not like friendly to the idea. Of course there are. But do you think it's going to help to try and match their hostility? Does that work? Like if your kids are, are mad at you and, and getting loud and shouting at you because they're mad, does it help that you like lose your head and throw them out the window or something? Like, no, no. obviously like you, you, don't, you don't match the crazy. You don't, you don't let the uh, inmates run the asylum, right? That's the, that's the mentality here that we have hope that by the way, the hope of the gospel is in Jesus, I don't have to impress anybody. I don't have to impress anybody because Jesus has already done everything for me. I I am good with him. Why do I need to be concerned if this person thinks I'm an idiot for believing this? So if that's our understanding of the gospel, that I'm okay in Jesus, and it doesn't matter if this person thinks I'm a fool or not, let them think I'm a fool. Then we can bring our tone way down and be calm and be respectful and be gentle. And that, I think, the reason... Peter makes that point is because that's going to win people far more than a fight's going to win people. I've just, I, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I know everybody's got a different story and, and there's probably somebody out there somewhere that Jesus has saved through a combative Christian. But that's because God can speak through anybody, right? Balaam's donkey was used <laughs> to speak God's word. And if he can speak through that, he can speak through anyone. Right? So I'm, I'm not saying that, that God can't use, oh, I'm sorry, cannot use your combative nature, but it's not the biblical way to do it. Here's, here's the point, right? Be ready to do this with gentleness and respect. Having, then it goes on to say, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, but those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, that they're going to look like the fool. 
because you're loving Jesus and they don't have anything to really shame you about. He says it's better for you to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Like if they're going to mock you, ridicule you, or even persecute you, then you let that be because you're doing what's right and not stooping to their level. And that's the point, right? And so as, as you gather around the Thanksgiving table, um, most of the time it's best to avoid the topic of politics. Please do. Uh, but then uh, beyond that, when, when the hope of the gospel begins to come out, be ready to share why you believe that Jesus saved you. Be, be, be ready to share what the hope actually is. And this, actually, the great thing is that Peter gives us the reason for this hope in verse 18. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's the hope that you're supposed to be sharing with people. It doesn't have to be complicated. You just have to tell people, when they ask you, why do you believe in Jesus? Why in the world are you into this Jesus guy? Like, all you have to say is because Jesus died for an unrighteous, evil person like me, and he's turning me into someone that he loves and, and is good. And that's all you got to do, right? There's nothing complicated about this. There doesn't have to be anything, you know, amazingly theological about this. It just can flow from you and be ready for it because people will ask. They may not ask on Thursday. They may ask some other day, but they will ask because the hope of the gospel should be evident in you. And I know that that's been true in my life. I've seen it happen in my life where I've worked in places outside the church and there's been coworkers that are not Christians that I've worked with. And inevitably, at some point, they'll come, come out to me. They have many times come out to me and say, why, why are you a Christian? Like they ask the question. And so then I would be an idiot if I didn't have an answer. Right? Have an answer. Be ready. Because when the time comes that they're ready to hear it, you can share it. But don't be a jerk. Right? We're, not, we're not jerks for Jesus. We shouldn't be. That's not the club. It's not the, that's not the church. Be, be ready to answer the question, but do so with gentleness and respect. And I would just add, um, be patient. Be patient. Because somebody who's hearing the gospel, perhaps for the first time, is probably not going to be totally there yet. It may take them many, many years, in some cases, to get there. And so be patient. Be gentle, be respectful, be patient, and, and be prepared to speak the hope of the gospel. And as that gospel extends, more and more people will be saved and more and more people will experience thanksgiving as they ought to. So that's what I have for us this morning. Let me, let me pray for us and we'll transition into our time of singing um, and communion today. Father God, we thank you for Jesus and for the hope that we have in him. We thank you that he has, um, that he suffered once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to you. And Lord, with that hope that we are unrighteous and undeserving, but have been loved by you, would that just grab our hearts so that as we interact with those around us, that we would be able to share that hope and extend it out for them to see and experience the thanksgiving that you call us to. We ask um, that the rest of our time would bring you glory this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.